Hi, I'm the newly married Graham McLennan, and today on Cheftimony, I'm interviewing two fellow podcasters, one of whom is a chef, and both of whom, of course, have a connection to Las Vegas. Let's get started. Talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Cheftimony. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. Welcome to your Friday and welcome back to the Chef Timoni podcast. I'm really glad you've joined me here again today. I'm recording on a beautiful, gray, quiet, drizzly Thursday at our B&B on Galliano Island in the southern Gulf Islands of British Columbia. I'm actually on my honeymoon and that is the level of my commitment to Chef Timoni. I am gambling with my four-day-old marriage to bring you another episode. So we're going to get into the episode very, very quickly, but I thought I would share a few thoughts about the wedding first. And I'm going to focus, uh, of course, on the culinary side of things. Before we get to the food, though, I'll just tell you briefly about the ceremony. My wife and I were married on Franklin Beach, which we can actually see from our house. So that's a very meaningful spot for us. Our original romantic plan was to arrive by rowboat. But let me tell you, this past Saturday, the weather was not having any of that. It was just borderline possible to do what we did do, which was to walk down the beach. The waves were crashing. The wind was, I think it's fair to say the wind was howling. The drizzle had turned from drizzle to occasional clearness to occasional hammering rain. And we threaded the ceremony in the midst of all of that. It was a wonderful experience, though. We walked along the beach. We were greeted by about 120 of our closest friends and family. We had a wonderful brief ceremony in these howling winds. And then we were led up the stairs from the beach to the street level by two musicians. So this was our nod to our cultural heritages. We had a piper, uh, part of my background is Scottish, and we had a daff player. And the daff is a Persian percussion instrument. To me, it's much like an Irish boran, but it has some... Uh, bells around the outside. The two worked beautifully together, I think mainly because we had two very talented musicians, friends of ours, who had agreed to play for us. So that was great. We were led up the stairs by the piper and the daft player, and then we went to the Gibson's Public Market, and that's where we held the reception. Emel's Catering, which is embedded within the market, they're both on the Sunshine Coast of BC and in Vancouver. They took care of the menu. They did an absolutely fantastic job. Helping out of Mel's, we had our good friends from The Curious Oyster, and you've heard from Richard Boucher of The Curious Oyster on episode four of Cheftimony. So he and his partner Ricky, they showed up and they shucked some brilliant, beautiful oysters for us. We paired those with some Blue Mountain Brute from the Okanagan Valley. And then later in the evening, we had some wonderful wines from our friend Matt Sherlock at Lock and Worth, also in the Okanagan in Naramata. And we were very happy to have the Coast Life Lager from Persephone Brewing and some Bricker's Cider from a little north of us in Seashell. So it was great. It was a really local, wonderful assembly of food and drink offerings. Glad it came together so, so well. And we had a great time with all of our family and friends. One family member in particular stands out, and that is my now mother-in-law. She prepared a wonderful Persian stew for us. It's called Gormasabzi. If you haven't tried it, do. It is incredible. Uh, served with rice. She prepared the rice in our kitchen the morning of the wedding. She had prepared the stew the day before, and both were at the reception waiting for everybody. So it really was a wonderful day. All right, there you go. I'm now married, I'm on my honeymoon, but I'm doing the intro to the podcast, so let's get to that now. Today I'm interviewing two other podcasters. The first is Julian Romero. Julian is one of three hosts of the Vegas Confessions podcast, and of course that's where I found him through my uh, ongoing interest in Las Vegas. So I'm a fan of Vegas Confessions. I've been listening to Julian and his co-hosts Kelly and Eric for some time now. Through the course of listening to that podcast, I've learned that Julian is not just a Vegas enthusiast, not just a gambling enthusiast, he's also a chef. So naturally, I had to get him on the show. Julian has spent a lot of time in the kitchen. He's worked his way up, worked his way through various positions. He's also spent time in the front of house. And Julian and I share the view that spending time with guests really is critical for everyone in the restaurant operation. When they get to tell you, hey, this is great, I love the way you guys put this together, or hey, I really didn't like this, this was too sweet, that's the feedback you don't get to get all the time when you're in the kitchen. So being able to jump out front and put your smile on and get feedback means 100% the most. 
Julian has been up for any test in his career, hot dogs and hamburgers to fine dining to cranking out eggs for breakfast, which has got to be one of the hardest jobs in the business. He's got some of the best advice I've ever heard on how to learn to cook eggs, so you're going to hear that. He's got some other great stories as well. One includes ice going into the deep fryer, which will make any cook cringe. Uh, He's got a great story about a woman named Gladys, and you're going to hear that Julian is a great teacher. And again, what matters to him is people. And in this story, it's about taking somebody and demonstrating to her that she really could do something that she didn't think she was going to be able to do. So this was a wonderful interview. Let's get to it now. This is my talk with gambling enthusiast, Vegas enthusiast, podcast hosting, chef Julian Romero. Well, listen, Julian, thanks very much for being on the show. I'm I'm really excited after having listened to Vegas Confessions for a while now and heard you with uh, Kelly and with Eric It's uh, and, and learning that you're a chef. And of course, knowing that you share my enthusiasm for Vegas, it's it's really great to talk. So thanks for being on the show. Hey, man, I'm excited. And anybody who loves to work in the kitchen is a little bit crazy. So just be honest. Just just some background first. We're talking remotely. So are you at home in California right now? Yeah, in California. And I saw you, you said we were on the same time frame and I know a couple dates didn't line up. So I'm glad we can actually find the time to do this, man. Should yeah, be fun. Me too. You know, we're going to come to Vegas because that's, of course, a shared interest that we've got. And, and it's really how we connected, first of all, because of the Vegas podcasting community. But let's put that to one side for now and, and start with the early days in cooking. How did you get your start? Were you cooking at home and, and how did you get into it professionally? Actually, it's pretty funny. I was just started working on with my uncle who was running a place that was actually downtown in our area in Fresno. And it was next to a place called the Grizzly Stadium where they do some of the AAA baseball games. And what he was doing is he was running the kitchen for a place called Coney Island, which was well established. It was here since like 1942. They were really known for their hot dogs and stuff like that. So I started off with hamburgers and hot dogs, believe it or not, and eventually worked my way up to bussing tables, to running cash register, to eventually jumping on the line and cooking with the guys. And I was like, wow, this is this is actually fun. You get to interact with the people. You get to BS with them, find out what they like. You get your regulars. And it created something very special for me. Eventually, I talked to my uncle and like, hey, I'm going to need some time off or, you know, I think I'm just going to need to end this now because I want to go to school for this and learn, you know, because there's so much more I feel I need to learn. And on that note, every day, I just I feel like I'm learning. There's always something new that somebody brings to the table or a different idea or easier process. So that's basically how I started hamburgers and hot dogs, bussing tables, washing dishes, which is, I believe, the traditional way of everybody in the kitchen. Well. Yeah, I th- I think that's right. And I was just gonna gonna jump in and say, isn't that interesting? I know so many so many people who are now chefs who started in the dish pit, and almost universally they look back on that and they're grateful for that because man, it really helps when you're calling the shots on the line yeah. to know what everybody else in the process is doing. Right. And you get to what I love to do is when we get new people in, I'm always one of the first things I always tell people on their new day on their first day is, hey, if you have a better, simple, simpler process, definitely bring it to the table because I'm all ears. You know, we've been doing this for so long. If we can make it easier for us, I'm game for it. So and again, yes, with learning the dish pit, learning you know, bussing tables, cleaning up after people, you get to learn, you know, if you stay on top of it, your job's that much easier. And when it comes to being able to find something else or help somebody else in a different area, it makes you that much more of an asset. So what I'm doing it, well, what I was doing is I was running the kitchen. Then on the weekends, I'd be out front. And I always joke about, you know, I'm always shaking hands and kissing babies and getting the <laughs> feedback from the guests because sure. the, that's that's the that's the key. And when they get to tell you, hey, this is great. I love the way you guys put this together or, hey, I really didn't like this. This was too sweet. That's the feedback you don't get to get all the time when you're in the kitchen. So being able to jump out front and put your smile on and get feedback means 100 percent the most. So what happened when you when you talked to your uncle about needing some time? Did you actually take a break and go away and come back? I, I did. And he it was funny because it felt like everything was falling into place because my uncle, he went through traditional training. He went to school and stuff. And when I told him, hey, I'm really liking this. I think, you know, there's some more I can take on. He was like, hey, I'm going to give you a number. You talk to this guy. He's a good buddy of mine. He runs a school here in Fresno, the Institute of Technology. 
go down and see him. So I called the guy and I was like, hey, my uncle such and such. I've been working with him for a couple years now. You know, I'm only doing hamburgers, hot dogs. We moved on to special steak sandwiches and stuff like that. We do breakfast as well. So I got a little bit of a feel for everything. I just feel like there's a lot more I can learn. He says, come in Monday, have your apron, come ready to go. We'll give you everything you need. He says, don't worry about, you know, paying for anything. I owe your uncle a favor. We'll go from there. And sure enough, man, this guy taught me the ins and outs from baking to pizzas to steaks to sauces. I mean, it was it was it was a dream come true for me. That's amazing. And then when you finished with this school experience, did you go back to your uncle's shop? Uh, no, he wasn't there at the time. So I decided, you know what? I feel like I got a little traditional training under my belt. I'm going to see what else is out there. And so I eventually went into a higher end fine dining restaurant to cooking steaks and working with charbroilers and making pastas and doing a little of everything from that sense. So it was a lot more exciting in the sense that, you know, hey, it's not just hamburgers and hot dogs. People are actually going to really break down how this how this is cooked and the way the flavors work together. And, you know, it, it just it was a dream come true, man. Well, take us through a few of those spots, maybe that that exact spot where you started with the steaks and the pastas and that kind of thing. And so, then a few others and, and, and what you learned and how you developed as a cook. Well, basically, once I was done with school, I went to go ahead and worked at a place called the Macaroni Grill, where they were well known for dinners and stuff like that here in Fresno and on a busier street. So obviously, location, location, location is everything, you know, so it was always busy. And this was a bit a different busy than what I ever experienced, the crazy lunch rush. This was all night. So our, our, our day started, you know, two in the afternoon to midnight and the nights flew by because you were having so much fun doing what you love to do. But again, yeah, we started like when they threw me on the charbroiler, I thought that was the ultimate test. You know, I didn't want to overcook meats or undercook meats for people to send anything back and look dumb. But I feel I had a good grasp on everything to make sure everything was seasoned and marinated well. Come in, get the prep stuff done. Eventually jumped on the pasta saute station, worked with different uh, kind of noodles and sauces and put different plates together in that aspect. And Eventually, you know, jumped, went backwards a little bit and jumped on the salad stations and appetizers and stuff, which is traditionally you start off on the apps and salads, the easier stuff, sandwiches, and then they start throwing you on, you know, the bigger stations like pot or steaks and saute and stuff. So it was, it was a little bit backwards training for me, but I really enjoyed it because they let me know one thing that, hey, you can do this no matter what you think or how bad you may think something is. You got this down pretty good, and the training helped out big time. So from there, I eventually jumped onto a, I jumped onto another company called uh, Yukon Jacks, where they were more like a log cabin dining restaurant, and so it was more, you know, buffalo burgers and steaks and traditional appetizers and stuff like that, breaded onion rings and a different variety of salads and pastas and prime rib, and I was like, man, this is so much fun, and. Eventually, the opportunity came where it was like a breakfast house. And I had worked at, I've never done breakfast, breakfast straight till the beginning of cooking. So I knew how to cook eggs on a flat top, but I didn't know how to cook eggs in a pan. So learning this stuff was a, a fresh start for me from learning how to do poached eggs, from learning how to do French toast on the grill, pancakes, how to be able to multitask on a big flat grill. And on top of that, we would also specialize in Southern style cuisine. So when it came to gumbos, catfish, jambalaya, poor boys, you name it, we were doing all that kind of stuff on top of the breakfast scene. So wow. we were more known for the breakfast stuff, which was really intriguing. But then lunchtime came and we were doing all the special stuff that people would like to try out for the first time. If, if somebody came in and they were a first timer and couldn't decide what they want, if I was up front, I'd actually recommend something. Oh, have you ever tried? Have you ever tried jambalaya? Well, what is that? What's Have you that? ever heard of dirty? Yeah, you ever heard of dirty rice? They're like, no. So I'd bring them out a little sample and let them know, hey, we can do gumbos that this stuff is actually inside. Comes with, you know, a, a, a red a, a red sauce. And I mean, it's killer. It's got chicken. It's got shrimp. It's got okra. And they're like, I haven't even heard of okra. <laughs> so it was it was fun to get some people to try something new. And then the next thing you know, they're back the very next weekend like, hey, I want to try something different. What do you recommend? Oh, well, let's try a catfish poor boy. You ever had catfish? No. <laughs> so for Fresno, it's not really known, you know, to have some of those style of foods. So when we were doing that, it was exciting to get people to try different things. And for me, 
to get the feedback that they really like something that they were on the risk of trying really made my day. So when they come back, you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see what we can get you today. So from there, it was a matter of, you know, let's let's see where else this can go. So I ran the kitchen there. I jumped on as a regular chef there. I had worked there for about five years until the chef I was working under, he had a heart attack. And turns out he went to the ER. He had a heart attack, a mild heart attack. And they came to me the next day and they're like, hey, we need you to run the show. It's like, hey, I'm game, you know. So I kept calling him my chef, like, hey. Whenever you're ready to come back, dude, don't you worry about this place. We got this. You let us know when you're ready to go, and we'll go from there. Well, it turned into the next six years. Whoa. Of, yeah, it turned into the next six years of running the kitchen. Four years into that, I had a, a comfortable crew to where they were like, hey, we love the personality. You know, you, you're you're willing on training people, and let, let's. what do you think about jumping to the front of the house? It's like, you know, I'm down for any test. So, it went from running the wild mess of the back of a house to jumping up front and throwing that smile on and getting guest feedback and making sure making people feel like they're your best friend from the minute they walk in to the minute they leave. And I don't care if you're 70 or seven years old, you're going to remember my name. And that was always my philosophy. If I can check on you, make sure you're having a great time, having a great meal, and you're really enjoying yourself, you're going to remember us and you'll probably be back more than likely. You know, it's interesting. What really is resonating for me here, Julian, as you're talking is connection with people. And I've, I've had this discussion with a few people on the show that, you know, no matter what your area of interest is, and, and for you and me, it's cooking right? Uh, and, and, and probably gambling. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, that's there. <laughs> yeah, that's there too. But whatever <laughs> it is, you know, for other people, it's, it's, it's running or it's knitting or it's, you know, race cars or motorcycles or whatever it is. But the common element is always that human interaction, right? I think that's what drives great experiences. Well, and overall, it's, it's you know, you create these bonds and these friendships with people who come in. Like the biggest thing that always wowed me is, again, I was the general manager of this place. So if I was jumping in the back, helping the kitchen when they'd start to get bombed or if I'm out out front checking on guests. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'd go back and forth in the day to make sure everything was running smoothly. Nobody was ever overwhelmed. And then getting up front and having somebody that was having a family meal come up to me and tip me five bucks because, you know, oh man, you were just great. You checked on us over. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm not even, I, I don't even want the tip. Like, I just want to make sure you're having a good time and it was worth your, your time and effort, you know? And they're like, dude, you don't understand, like, you don't get this service at a lot of places. I go, hey, this is this is not an act. This is what I do. This is what they pay me yeah. to do. And I think it's silly that I get paid to make sure you guys are having a great experience. You know what I mean? I love what I do. Well, you are in the right industry, my friend. <laughs> oh, one thing I wanted to ask you while I think of it, yeah. when you're talking about cooking eggs. So I worked at a restaurant in Vancouver for a while. And uh, sort of midway through my time there, we were always a dinner restaurant. But we started opening for brunch just on the weekends. Okay. And, and so I would come in to start dinner prep at 2 o'clock. And there'd just be a few tables lingering from brunch right brunch would go roughly 10 to 2 so there'd be a few people lingering but the two cooks that would be on for brunch every time I walked in at two o'clock, they were just wrapping up and starting to clean and, and you know, flip their stations. But man, they always looked like they had PTSD. And they, <laughs> and they, said, they said, no matter how crazy dinner gets, it is nothing compared to how brutal brunch can be. Well, and the biggest and it's funny you're saying that because what I learned after doing this for so long is the biggest difference between dinner and breakfast. Ticket times for like dinner is 10, 11 minutes. For breakfast, you're looking at six to seven minutes. Right. So there's a big gap there. And to be able to cook eggs over easy and the way that I've always, the way I was taught and the way I've always taught my, my chefs coming in is, hey, once you're ready for the egg station, the simplest thing to do is get a, the butt end of a loaf of bread, throw it in a small pan and just start flipping it. And once you start flipping it and you're able to catch it and maneuver that wrist to where, you know, you're having a, a good, comfortable feel for it. Then it's time to get the eggs in the pan. Right. So, you know, the different style of eggs, whether it's over easy, over medium, over hard, poach, egg whites, beaters, you name it. There's there's always a comfortable aspect with yourself. And as long as you start to get comfortable with your pan, I mean, dude, I can tell you I've had eight burners going at once with different <laughs> omelets. And, you know, so, I mean, it's all about you finding your comfort zone. 
especially in the kitchen. When you come home and you're looking to cook something, what do you love to cook? I really love pastas. I love pastas. I love burgers. I love steaks. I love cooking all those types of meals. And it's funny because here at home, my kids are super picky. I've brought items to the table. Like, you know, I've tried to make it simple for them. You guys like sloppy joes? Nope. Shrimp? Yeah. Nope. nope. I mean, just the, the, the basics they love. They love the macaroni and cheese. And boy, when I started putting bacon bits in the macaroni and cheese, they're like, this is the best thing ever. So, I mean, we do like a pan of... Uh, baked macaroni and cheese with some panko on top, some panko breading, and bake that off for a good ten minutes. And they they tear it up with some with some uh, thin sliced steaks or you know the basics. They they really enjoy you know doing like homemade pizzas, being able to make the pizzas with the four year old. And while we're rolling out the dough and we're stretching it, letting it land on his head, and he just thinks it's the funniest <laughs> thing the in the world. Ever, so, yeah. and it's really it's really stood out to me. Like they do, they love the simple stuff. One of their favorite things, and we, I feel like I'm buying ground beef all the time. One of their favorite things is hamburger helper. And I don't know if yeah. you guys have that in Canada, but yeah, boy, we they, sure, we sure they love some hamburger helper with some rice and some and some corn. I mean, that's like their favorite. Are we having hamburger helper again? Like, God damn it. We got to switch this up, man. Well, take it away from the family setting there. This is just sort of a, a really open-ended question. So when, yeah. when, you're, when you're done with uh, ground beef and... And mac and cheese, like if you could cook anywhere and with anybody, who 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 are the people that you look up to now and where would you go? Who would you cook with? Man, it's funny because I got friends from high school that would come into my restaurant and bring their families in and stuff. And, you know, that was aggravating for me is for them to try my food and what their feedback was going to be. So when it came to like, you know, close friends coming in from high school and I know, you know, they cook outside of the restaurant and I'm seeing their pictures on Facebook and Instagram, I'm like, God damn, this guy gets down. You know, the one thing I didn't want to do was let them down. So I made sure I was in the kitchen, making sure that I was doing their food and making sure they had an overall blast. So for me, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a really big name like a Gordon Ramsay or Jose Andres or Guy Fury. It doesn't even have to be that. It would be just kind of what I'm doing already. It doesn't matter where I seem to go or where I land a job. I always seem to connect with everybody just because I guess it's the personality. People can tell you love what you do when you're doing it. So, I mean, I'm working with a guy right now. His name's Adam Meyer. He's here in Fresno. And it was funny because he's been running a lot of golf courses. He's done a lot of brunches, a lot of uh, dinner banquets and stuff. And this guy, man, he's 65 and he moves around the kitchen like he's 30. The guy just has a passion for food, pays attention to detail, always tasting his stuff, always watching his spices and flavors. And this guy just really gets down. And so on the weekends, we actually get to work together and do brunch on the weekends. So we do a brunch buffet and this guy, man, he kills it. But I mean, when you find people who love which that are that crazy and actually love to be in the heat and move around and do nonstop yeah. for, you know, 10, 11 hours a day, you really get a whole new, uh, a whole new respect for them. So working with, you know, friends from school and stuff like that and getting ideas from them or why they cook things a certain way, that's always intriguing to me. So that's always fun. So when it comes to, I guess the answer to this question would be, you know, close friends, people who really enjoy what they do. A lot of the chefs I've spoken to say that, and a lot of lawyers, which is the other world I know, um, <laughs> you know, the more the more senior people, they're like, yeah, God, nobody wants to put in an honest day's work anymore. Right. And, right. And, and have you noticed anything over your time in the in the field about people and, and work ethic? Is that changing at all? Or is that just all of us old people being grumpy? No, that's a really great question. And like I was getting to, you know, I've seen them be pretty lucky because I've always seemed to find people who want to come in. And when I interview people, especially for the restaurant and the kitchen jobs, my thing is always, hey, I don't want people who feel like they need to work. I want people who want to work and that have reasons, that have a roof to keep over their kids' head, that have stomachs to fill up at night. So those are the people who are going to be hungry. Those are the people who are going to want to come in early when you ask them to. So when it comes down to, you know, people who, when you talk about if the work ethic is there, I've always had the saying that people that come from culinary school, they're a 50-50 mix. They either got it or they don't. Mm -hmm. And I live to die by that because, I mean, seriously, they either take into consideration of what they're doing and really pay attention to what they're doing in school, or they're actually just trying to get through so they can have that on their resume so they can land a job. So when they do get there, it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm here, you know. 
Right. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to tell, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah. You'll get the people who, you know, start calling in the very second week and, oh, you know, I don't really know how to do this, but they told you, oh, well, I can do this right off the back in the interview. Like one time I had a guy who was just like, we just opened a restaurant and this was the breakfast place. And he was actually in school at the time. He just finished about the second week that we were in and uh, we were cleaning up and we were actually cleaning out the deep fryers. He basically went ahead and as the oil was draining out into a pot, he threw ice straight oh, into the deep fryer uh, with the, th- the drain open. So this oh, pot that was on the floor, bro, just started popping of off the floor. Course, like, and so it was just it was crazy. And I was after everything was done and we got everything under control, got everything cleaned up. I was like, dude, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah, he's all. And this was his response. And I'll never forget this to the day I die. He says. Well, I've never worked at a McDonald's. I've never worked with a deep fryer. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. I said, bro, every kitchen that you're going to work in is going to have a deep fryer. a deep fryer. He's like, oh, well, I just, I didn't know. I said, man, ne- never ask a question. And I live to die by, you know, there's no stupid question unless it's an unanswered, un- un- unasked question. Yeah. You have to ask questions. The more you know, the better you'll be. And that's always my philosophy for the kitchen. The more you're willing to learn, the better you'll be for that company. Well, that, that actually takes me into my next question, although you may have already answered this question, which was, which is there's so much great stuff, like the hours and hours that I've spent in restaurant kitchens. Um, and yeah. if they're open kitchens, you know, before customers get there, before the guests show up, and then in closed kitchens, it can happen at any time. But they are so full of great stories. And you've just told us one, but but any others that you would like to share? Because part part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is to share with people who are really interested in food and they're interested in restaurants and they, you know, they might follow celebrity chefs and they follow right. movies on Instagram and stuff. But most people don't get to see the nitty gritty like in the kitchen. And that's that's part of what I'm hoping to share with people. So so that deep fryer story is a great one, but <laughs> any others you'd like to share stuff that, that people who haven't been in kitchens just wouldn't have seen. I have two good ones that just, that are already just on the top of my head. One was actually a dishwasher and a prep guy. We were just getting ready to close up. It was actually the end of the day. So of course we got all these dishes going back to the dishwasher and the prep guy, you know, he's slamming him with his stuff too. And everybody's trying to get out. It's a Sunday. Everybody wants to go home. And because this was a breakfast place, we were already closing by, you know, three thirty four, trying to get out. Everybody wants to go home and watch the last football game. The next thing I know, as I'm shutting everything down in the kitchen, I walk to the back and I see, and this is, wasn't, this wasn't when I was running the place. Actually, this is when we were still working under the head chef. He had just taken off. Most of his stuff was done. So we're actually just touching everything up, wiping everything, scrubbing, cleaning everything. Well, we hear an altercation in the back. The dishwasher didn't really like the way that the prep guy was throwing all his dishes in the sink. And (laughs) the next thing you know, man, we hear one of the servers like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, slow down. I run to the back and these guys are throwing blows straight in the kitchen, just straight up swinging at each other. And And I'm like, guys, stop, man. We... Eventually, you know, had to raise my voice. Hey, cut this shit out. You know, we split them up and we're like, hey, we got to the bottom of it. Very next day, busy as hell. It was actually, I think it was a Labor Day. We're right back at it. Boy, this dishwasher was on the prep table helping this guy out with his prep work. End of the day, the prep guy was in the back helping the dishwasher with his dishes. So it was like nothing happened. And these guys, you know, you get through it. And it was the chemistry. I mean, they both understood where they were wrong that day. Everything was bygones will be bygones. And we're going to move on and move forward. So it was really neat to see these guys work together through havoc. And they knew we were busy. Nobody obviously wants to take on everybody else's work. So when they were helping each other out the next day, I pulled them both aside. And I'm like, hey, you guys may not think it was a big deal. But I appreciate you guys, the way you guys are handling yourself. You guys are not letting the situation escalate and linger. You guys are over it. You guys are handling it, handling it just like men. And I appreciate that. And ever since then, these guys were closer than now. Every day after work, they're getting ah. off, going to go have a beer together. So I thought that ah. was really neat. I've always told people, you know, in our kitchens, it's, it's, it's a weird environment and it's a fun atmosphere. But... I've always told people here in the summer, you know, in California, our, our, our temperatures can get up to, you know, 110, 115 degrees. Well, mm-hmm. kitchens, kitchens could be, you know, 10, 15 degrees hotter. So it's not, you know, 110 in that kitchen. It's 125, 130 degrees sometimes. And you're over the hot grills, cooking and burners, sweating your ass off. So the one thing I always try to do 
And this is for anybody in the kitchen that works in the kitchens. We've always had those cool towels, you know, we the little cool towels that go over yeah. your neck. And one thing I've always done is I've always put a pot of water or a little bucket of ice water. I'll dunk these cool towels, wring them out and throw them over everybody's neck on the line. And they get that, you know, 10 degrees cooler. But it's the it's the thought that counts. And of course, sure. they're a little bit cooler. So that goes a long way. But I don't want to forget the second one, so I'm going to get to yeah, the second yeah, one. Let's, yeah. So we hired this this lady. Her name was Gladys, and she was awesome, right? She came in. She was very hungry, never worked in the kitchen before. She's uh, actually, so out here, we have a lot of agriculture. She worked in the fields. Little Mexican lady, tiny, maybe five feet, just, you know, a hustler, a work hog, you know? So she was our dishwasher for about a year. And we were at the point where we lost a couple of cooks and I pulled her aside and I said, Hey, Gladys, I want to talk to you real quick. And this was the first day. The first day I asked her, Hey, I know you've never cooked. I know you never worked on the prep line. I know you've never done anything like that. And usually the way we do things is we take you from the dishwashing position, bump you up to the prep table. And once you can learn the prep work, we, you know, we start paying you a little more and then, you know, your next venture is to the cook's line. But Right now, I can use a cook, and I see the way you work. You're a hard worker. I'd love to have you come up and and work with us on the line. Me and the chef here, we can teach you everything from front to back, left to right when it comes to the menu. We can show you how we put everything together. We can show you how we prep for the day. Whatever you need to know, I just need to know that you're willing to learn and you're willing to do it. Again, there'll be an increase in your pay. She looked at me, and her first response was like, dead in the eye. She looks at me, and she's like, nope. I said, why? She said, I'm not working in front of where customers can see me. No way. She's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I wouldn't want anybody testing my food. She said, I I just don't know how to do it. I'm okay right here. I said, okay, Gladys. I said, well, I'm going to leave it at, I will teach you everything you need to know. Everything I know, I'm going to teach you. I'm willing on doing that. And that'll show you that I really care. And I really think you can do the job as hard as you work, as much as deep detail you are paying to scrubbing dishes if you're paying that much attention to detail when it comes to cooking food and putting the menu together you'll be amazed at what you can do Mm -hmm. she looks at me and she says can i tell you tomorrow Mm -hmm. i said i look forward to talking to you tomorrow in the morning very next morning she comes in and she's smiling and i already Uh, knew the answer (laughs) she says i'll try it julian I'll, i'll try it one time boy if she went from not knowing how to cook to running my whole left side of the kitchens when it came to salads, it came to burgers, sandwiches, deep frying, anything. This girl just had a knack for it and didn't know it. And it was really neat because eventually she became one of the highest, highest paid chefs in my kitchen. And one person that I can lean on and one of my most reliable people. So seeing her glow is letting me know that, you know, we're also doing a great thing here and teaching these people because when people start to catch on, that's when you know your job is done and you're yeah. doing a good job at it. So yeah. that was pretty exciting for me. That's very I love that story. And you know, man, what that makes me think of, I was just chatting with our mutual friend, Chris, from Faces and Aces. Great guy. And Yeah, great guy. And he was saying he had listened to an episode of mine where I interviewed Chef Jamie Tran, who's at Black Sheep in Las Vegas. Okay. And w- one of the things she said during that interview was she wasn't going to feel like she had succeeded as a chef and a restaurant owner until one of her sous chefs opened uh, a restaurant of their own. And wow. so, yeah, yeah it makes and that, sense. Yeah, and that I, I figured that would resonate with you because you you seem to get so much pleasure out of out of teaching people and and helping them to discover what they can do. There, I'll tell you what, Graham, there really is something with watching them get it and watching it just come together in their head. And then once they put it on a plate and you're, my thing is, is watching somebody taste my food and the immediate reaction of all like, oh, hell yeah, you know? And so seeing that somebody learn and watch their plating and watch them use their flavors and stick to a menu and just get a, a, a just get a knack for it. That means everything right there to watch them smile and be like, damn, I can do this. Well, listen, we've held off long enough. We got to get to Vegas here. And <laughs> I've got a few Vegas food related questions. But the first question I've got for you, and this is um, this is probably a bit of a surprise one because it's based on the latest episode of Vegas Confessions that I was listening to as I walked okay. to work this morning. 
And this was a question oh, nice. that you asked. Yeah, you asked your guest, Matt Bridger, this, the vlogger, this question. Okay. And so I'm going to ask you this question with with basically the same preface that you gave gave to Matt, which was, this is not a fair question, but <laughs> what's your favorite casino? Oh, shit. I knew that was coming. I just had a feeling it was coming. So I, I will say right off the bat, like, my biggest kick out of doing the podcast is when people mention, hey, I'm going to the promised land this week or I'm going to be there, you know. So when they refer to it as the promised land, I'm like, God, that's my type of person. I wish I could be there with them all the time. But for me, man, when it started off, it was, you know, I used to always stay at the Flamingo. It's center strip. It's, you know, where all the action is. You get to walk outside and just hang out have a Red Bull or a Monster or even a cup of vodkas, whatever you're going to your drink of choices. And you yeah. just get to people watch. And my favorite thing to do in Vegas is just look at people and laugh at them. You know, because it's my favorite thing to do. You get people who walk out of the casino all pissed off. You get some who just won a little bit of money and don't know what to do with it or how to spend it. So, And then you get the, you know, the card peddlers, the, the stripper card people who are pushing the cards to get you to their clubs and get the escorts to you and stuff. So it's just a different dynamic. And when I started, like I said, Flamingo was my spot. But lately, since... I've been going over the last couple of years nonstop. It's been the plaza that's took my attention. And it's obviously way downtown, very backside of downtown. I was open it to a a buddy who was just trying to take me around Vegas. One of my first trips. Hey, have you seen this place? It's got roller coasters inside. I'm like, fuck that. Let's go right now. You know, and there's, (laughs) there's so much stuff I realized I had yet to see. That I never knew was there, you know, Container Park, which has all these different gigs and restaurants and barbecue spots and a place for the kids to hang out and play. And they do concerts and they have an art show downtown. I mean, there's just so much stuff that I never knew happened. I've always, you know, known Vegas to gamble and drink and hang out with friends. Well, lo and behold, I didn't even think about, oh, people actually live there? So there was was a whole different dynamic of places to go off the strip and check out and you and there was just so much I had yet to see. But the plaza has become one of my favorites, mainly because of the service. Jonathan Jossel and Gary and his team out there, man, they look forward to making sure you're having a great time. They even had us go down and try their pizza place that they were just opening up. All different kinds of pizzas because he knows I like pizza. And we've talked about a couple different places downtown. He's like, I have the best pizza. Basically showed us a table with 10 full-size pizzas just for me and another buddy. I'm like, holy shit. So it was it was really neat. And he knows I'm a food guy. So me and his chef of that place, Mike uh, Michael, we got in real cahoots. I actually did an interview with him on one of our first shows of Vegas Confessions. So, I mean, just the connections you make, the hospitality that they give, the connections you make with these people are astounding. I mean, you, you can't you can't replace it. And you just don't get that on the strip. You don't get people who are coming to check on you and see how your trip's going, if there's anything that they can do for you. And, you know, what are your plans later today? Because if you're available, you can have dinner up at Oscars for free. Or I'd love to treat you and your group of friends over here at our bar up at Oscars because, you know, we just want to hang out and have a good time with you guys. And sure enough, these guys would show up and hang out with us for a couple hours. And yeah, again, man, just... It's made it's made Vegas a whole different dynamic for us. So my love, yeah. my wife loves it too, and it's it's really funny because you know I I tell everybody, hey, I'm a five dollar craps player, and you know I don't mind staying on the table for four, five, six hours at a night. But yeah. again, as long as I have a good time with some good dealers, I mean that's what it's about. It's about the camaraderie, the drink lady who's coming to check on your people, and you know when we're grabbing people from the strip that are staying at Mirage and Treasure Island and Caesars. And we're telling them, hey, you know, I'm not gambling down here on the strip because we don't tend to do well. And, the, 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 you know, the gaming is a lot higher. We're heading downtown where everything's five bucks. You can even find three dollar tables at certain places. And so they're like, hey, uh, we'll meet you there in about 30 minutes. <laughs> like, yep. We're already heading that way. So <laughs> definitely. And then you get the drink server where you're like, hey, my buddy here, he likes, you know, he likes that. What is it? Pierre Water. And this he likes coffee. So make sure they keep a pot going and. You know, she's going to get tipped well. She's going to get taken mm-hmm. care of. And again, we're all going to have a great experience. We're all going to end up on that table for a couple hours. God willing, we're winning. Yep. You know, so it's, it's kind of worth it. So it, it really is. And then once we're done gambling, we're going to venture off at three, four, five in the morning, head over to El Cortez or go check out the hot dog place under the D or head over to Pizza Rock because that's some of their best pizza they got downtown. So we just we love to venture off and explore, man. 
Where right. would you send people who are new to Vegas for uh, for great food experiences? So for first timers, I will say when it comes to the strip. Now, mind you guys, I'm not a baller. I don't. I mean, I, I'd probably take you know four or five thousand a trip with me, and that's not all to gamble. That's some to stay. That's some to play. That's some to eat at different places. I'm gonna splurge. You know, vacation is vacation, and I've always felt like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy myself. You know, I've worked my ass off to make sure I can take this extra money to come out with. So here we go. And I will say, one of my favorite places that I'd consider a hole in the wall, Alice Island. Alice Island has some really great barbecue, but they got one staple that, you know, they're really known for. It's like a $7.99 steak breakfast or steak meal dinner that they do. But they also have one thing that I've been turning a lot of our friends in the community onto is they have a chicken fried chicken platter. It comes with gravy on top with some potatoes. Dude, this thing is phenomenal. Tender, seasoned well. I mean, just the, every time I go, I make it a point to go by there and have this meal. That's how good it is for me. Listen, one one question I want to know whether it's celebrity chef or otherwise, because you spent time in Vegas, you spend time at other casinos, you've got the food background, you've got the gambling background. Any stories that mix the two? There've got to be some good stories that that combine gambling and food. I'm not sure what those would be, like a pizza at the craps table or something, which would pl- probably be blasphemy but but anything like that you can share with us <laughs> so the wildest thing i've witnessed is me and my wife gambling together we were at a slot machine and the wife noticed it i didn't notice it but the wife noticed it this lady who was playing next to her my wife's a bigger slot player and i'm more of a table games player so when i'm not playing blackjack or she's not playing slots we're playing craps together and what i've noticed is She's like, check this out. And I'm usually very observant. I'm always watching what's going on. I'm watching people around me. You know, I'm looking for, we like to play a game where we throw like five cents in a machine and see who comes by and is going to cash the ticket out and take it. Like, so we're always watching for stupid shit like that. So, but one time this lady was playing a slot machine and she called her host and she called her host over and basically asked her to go get her food at the food court. And bring it back to her. And my wife was watching this and she's like, check this shit out, Julian. She's having her host go grab her food and bring it back to the slot machine because she didn't want to give up her machine. I was like, no way. And sure enough, this host comes back from the food court. Big old tray of food. Here you go, ma'am. And to make matters even worse, I'm already thinking this lady's ridiculous. To make the story even better. This lady didn't even tip her five bucks, a dollar, anything. Yeah, I'm just like, yo, how fucking ridiculous are you? Yeah, that was probably the worst thing when it comes to food and gambling I've ever seen happen. Well, listen, I know that you're not uh, only a chef, not only a podcast. You made reference to cooking for your kids a little earlier. So maybe you can help out some of my listeners uh, who are in a similar situation by giving us a go-to dish. You mentioned mac and cheese. You mentioned hamburger helper. I love it. Anything else? Give, give me something that you love to cook that that takes maybe 10 minutes. You can tell us how to do it in 30 seconds. That uh, that Especially something that would be popular with the kids. Man, my that's that's a tough one. Especially, you know, you've asked all these questions and when it comes to running the restaurant. And, and I know everybody's different, you know. My kids, I, I thought they would love, you know, pudding as desserts and simple things. Like, they're like, nope. You know, so, I mean, I, it's hard to gauge. My family's different. Right. I mean, maybe they're just, yeah, they're more, you know. They're more traditional to what they like. But, you know, if you're in a trying something new and, you know, I was looking at different recipes and stuff when I first started for the kids, you know, what what are they going to like? What are they really going to enjoy? And a lot of the stuff they didn't like, they didn't like to try new things. They didn't like to try things that were out of their realm. But my biggest thing I've learned that they like the consistency. They love to know when they're going to get, you know, some rice, some pasta, whatever it may be. So I've learned that they do like a, you know, a chicken broccoli pasta. So rather it'd be a panay pasta that you're cooking off and you have some sautéed broccoli and you're cooking off your chicken nice and seasoned, whether it be Montreal or whatever kind of chicken seasoning, blend that all together with an Alfredo sauce and put some Parmesan cheese on top. That's a killer one for the kids. They love that one. And that's the one that they go to. That's their go-to dish. Is there any piece of equipment, cooking equipment or and or a technique that you, uh, you know, you rely on or you like using from your restaurant experience that you think more people could be using at home that would improve their cooking in their own kitchens? My number one tool, believe it or not, 
was a damn thermometer. Simple, yeah. but yes, very important, especially when cooking off prime rib and tri-tips and roast and, you know, chicken. You just want to reassure yourself that, you know, I hated cutting into meat just to check it. And in the beginning, yeah. that's what I was doing. I'd split a piece of chicken or I'd cut a little corner off. And, you know, your guest is going to get that at some point. You don't want to do that, you know, unless you have to dice it or put it in a pasta, whatever it may be. But the number one special tool I have, and I have two of them, a digital and, a you know, an old school analog one where it just reads the number of gauges, is a thermometer. A food thermometer will get you going a long way. Again, it's going to help you go through all your food prep when you're checking, you know, temperatures throughout the day, making sure everything's where it needs to be. And that's just, that's a key one for me that, you know, has went a long way. Yes, knives are important. Yes, you know, steel sharpeners are important. All that good stuff's important. But knowing that your food's done right is probably the most important thing that you'll need to know and reassure yourself. This was a blast, brother. Thank you for having me on, man. I look forward to talking to you and hopefully meeting up with you in Vegas one day. You bet we will. Thanks, Julian. Be well, brother. Thanks so much, Julian, for taking the time and for working with me through all of those technical headaches. I really, really do appreciate it. And I know it's going to happen, but I'm really looking forward to when we can meet up in Las Vegas. Hopefully, fingers crossed, in November. I will let you know as soon as I do uh, whether that's a go-ahead for sure. All right. My next guest, another podcaster, another Vegas enthusiast, and also somebody who does not live in Las Vegas, just like Julian, just like me. This is Chris from the Faces and Aces Las Vegas podcast. This is one I've been listening to for years. Chris, like Julian, is one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. I've only done that over the computer, over audio files so far, but knowing him as I do from his own podcast and from my interactions with him so far, I can say that Chris is a great guy who wants to share his love of the city with all of us. So let's go now. Here's my talk with Chris Kim from Faces and Aces, Las Vegas. Chris, listen, thanks very much for getting together. This is really exciting. I've been listening to your show for years. I'm delighted that we're actually in touch now. Thanks for being on Cheftimony. Hey, Graham. Thank you for having me on. I've been enjoying your show as well. Fantastic. Well, as I say, I've been listening to you for a couple of years now, but for listeners who don't know, just give us the background, the quick uh, synopsis. What is Faces and Aces all about? Well, Faces and Aces is a podcast where I ask, invite people to come on the show and share their fun, crazy, wacky, wild, interesting Vegas story. And based on some element of that story, I will then actually go to Vegas and try to find someone to interview in Vegas to pair to provide a little bit more insight into whatever the topic of that story of uh, topic of the story was. Fantastic! I love the concept, and you're you're close enough that you're able to drive out. So so L.A. to Vegas is what? That's about four hours. Depending on what part of L.A. you live in and depending on what time you leave, that's the critical key element of it. <laughs> Typically, right. it takes me three and a half hours, but if I hit traffic, it's taking me as long as seven, and seven or eight hours. Holy moly. Okay. You might as well fly from Vancouver at that point. Well, listen, one, one thought I want to get on, uh, one question I want to get your thoughts on, and before we dive really into the, the food part, which is, of course, what my show tackles, and it's about Vegas generally. I try to describe to friends of mine who just don't get why I like Vegas so much, exactly why I like Vegas so much. And so far, I'm pretty sure I'm failing. I don't see a lot of convinced people after my explanation. So maybe you can help me with that. What are your reasons for liking Vegas as much as you do? Boy, I wish I could explain it. I've, that's what the podcast has been about for the last four years, trying to figure out what the attraction to the city is. Um, <laughs> from the data that I've collected so far, I would think that there's just an abundance of things to do there. And no matter what your interest is, is you can find something to do. It's just a matter of knowing how to find it. And that's kind of what the exploration of the show has been, finding different and interesting things for everybody. Well, let's let's take let's focus on one of those things, which is the dining scene there. And I know from some of your episodes, and, and in particular, I'm thinking of the most recent one where you were on Spring Mountain Road and meeting up with people there, and in the the, the Vegas Chinatown and trying different different culinary places. You, I know that you've explored a lot of the food scene in Vegas. What what makes it different, if anything, but uh, from other cities? 
Vegas is unique in that it has so many great places to eat all within roughly a three to four mile square radius. Um, Normally in any given city, you'll have your downtown restaurants and then a lot of great restaurants that are spread out throughout an urban sprawl. Whereas in Vegas, you have everything just right next to each other. And you actually couldn't accomplish eating everywhere in a lifetime just because there were so many places to choose for. Well, I suppose unless you ate every meal and had an unlimited bank account, maybe then it could be done. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's what makes Vegas such a great place for any foodie. Just the amazing food. And if you have a, you know, a big checkbook, then you could live in hog heaven. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I noticed that, that really stands out to me in Vegas that I see there more than really any other city I've been to is the impact of the celebrity chef scene, right? And I think that started, I'm not sure how long ago, 10, 15 years, something like that. But unlike any other city I've been to driving down the strip, you see you see pictures of chefs, you see Thomas Keller, you see Gordon Ramsay, you see Giada. And I wonder what your thoughts are on the impact of that culture, that phenomenon of of celebrity chefs on the Vegas dining scene. It's been great for the chefs. They've been able to cash in on on their many years (laughs) of hard work. You know, sure. I don't begrudge them that. You know, they have an audience who's willing to, you know, they've ri- risen to a level of fame where just their name will be a draw for people to come in and good for them. They worked hard to get there. And for the tourist, I mean, if you're a fan of them, it's a good thing because then you get to enjoy some of these chefs that perhaps maybe you wouldn't have had the chance to eat at one of their restaurants before. And now six of them are in one city. <laughs> right. So that's right. also a fantastic thing. As well as the impact that it's had on the city. A lot of the people have studied under these chefs or have worked in their kitchens and are now opening restaurants off strip. And so, I mean, really, it's, it, you know, the cynical part of me wants to say, ah, screw these guys. They're rich enough already. But I mean, for the <laughs> yeah. most part, if you really, if you look at it, it's been mostly good things that have come out of Vegas turning into a celebrity chef town. Well, I think so. The, the one of your points there in particular resonates, which is the the chefs that have trained under the celebrity chefs and work in their restaurants, then opening places off strip. I've seen with uh, Christy Totten, our mutual friend of the Spicy Eyes podcast, she and I interviewed uh, Jamie Tran of Black Sheep. Las Vegas. And and exactly that. She spent years on the Strip and then went and opened her own fabulous place. And that probably wouldn't have happened without the resources that come with all of these celebrity chefs and the, the crowds that are flocking out there to, to see them. Precisely. And it's going to prolifer- proliferate more fantastic chefs. One of the thing that, things that Jamie said during that interview that really struck me was she feels that she will not have accomplished her goal in opening a restaurant until one of her chefs leaves and opens their own restaurant. Right. And I yeah. thought that was just such a beautiful thing to say. Paying it forward. Can you tell me, we, you mentioned just before we started recording, you had mentioned Gordon Ramsay, and I think you'd been recently to, was it Hell's Kitchen? I did. I went to Hell's Kitchen on a recent trip. And uh, this is something I've been itching to discuss with somebody. Excellent. Well, I'm the perfect person to discuss with. (laughs) Now, I've been to all of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants, and I'm a big fan of his food, um, including a couple of all the restaurants in Vegas and a couple of them here in LA. And I'm a big fan. My wife is a big fan. We're both. Hell's Kitchen is a TV show that I've enjoyed. It's very entertaining. It's bombastic. It's uh, I've learned a few cooking techniques from watching the show as well as his other shows. So we were excited to go try Hell's Kitchen for the first time. And of course, they had all the the hits. They played the hits, you know, the beef wellington, the uh, sticky toffee pudding, etc. However, I left with the feeling that I just had very, very expensive fast food. Wow. Wow. And And I got to hope that's not the vibe they were going for. Yeah. Sorry, please explain. Yeah, I'll explain what that means, which is the menu is very limited. And and I did pick this up from his show. He advised on uh, what, what is the, not the Hell's Kitchen show, but the Kitchen Nightmares. Right. He advised restaurants to keep a very simple menu so that way you could just nail these four or five dishes and get them out. And that way you could get people seated quicker. Your chefs become accustomed to cooking these. They could do it very fast and just move it along. And so that's kind of the vibe that I got from eating at Hell's Kitchen, even though it tasted delicious, but I couldn't help feel like I was being served a very, very, very high-end Big Mac. Wow. Okay. So it just felt... I guess what I'm hearing in that is it felt just too processed, too produced, too cookie cutter? Perhaps. And that was what I was wondering. Do you, when you go to dine, when you go out to eat, do you like to sit and en- 
enjoy your meal? Or like, how would you make that distinction between a restaurant that's there to make business versus a rest? I mean, they're all there for business, but there's something a little bit more luxurious and welcoming about a, a you know, a two, three page menu and selecting, you know, having a big selection and knowing that they're preparing specifically what you ask for instead of one of playing one of the five hits. Right. This is a big, big topic. I'll, I'll give you some of my quick thoughts on it. I love restaurants that do what they do. They do quirky things. They change their menus regularly because of seasonality, what's coming in, and they don't really do the hits. They might. One I can think of where I, I cooked at here in, in Vancouver, Burdock & Co., I think the one thing they've had on the menu since they opened is the fried chicken dish. And even that has gone through many, many iterations. You know, there's occasionally a buttermilk and pickles version of it. There's occasionally a Korean version with kimchi. Uh, but that fried chicken has been consistent on the menu. But apart from that, it's very seasonal. It's very individual. It's based on what the farmers are bringing in. Personally, that's what I love about restaurants. I, I view them as, a, as an expression of the chef's creativity. That said, if you're going to be paying whatever the rent is on the Vegas Strip just outside of Caesar's Palace, you have got to be cranking out dishes that are quick and replicatable and profitable. So I think it's just a different environment. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I would go check out those places too and enjoy them for what they are. But I think we just, as diners, my sense is we just have to be realistic about what experience we're signing up for. And if you're going to, if you're going to the celebrity chef uh, restaurant on the Vegas Strip and you know they're going to be pumping hundreds of diners through there in a day, the only way they're going to be able to do that is to have those dishes that they can crank out quickly and uh, successfully every time. Does that make sense? It's, it's just a different experience from the small, bespoke, custom, individual restaurant. No, I think what you said was very well said. Um, and I think I do appreciate the restaurants that have, like, like you said, an expression of the chef's creativity. And I think a place like Hell's Kitchen is Gordon Ramsay, and I don't begrudge him. He's cashing in on his past creativity. Right. Um, and so I suppose going in with your eyes open, knowing what it what it is. I mean, it, it, it definitely felt like, yeah, I, I couldn't describe it any better than a very, very, very dressed up McDonald's. And I hope that isn't ins too insulting. I don't mean it to be, but I'm trying to create an accurate picture. No, and I don't think there's particularly anything wrong with that as long as people go in, as you say, with their eyes open. You know, it, it's just right. a, I guess if we could run a music analogy. You could go see the Rolling Stones. And if I did that, I would probably be disappointed i frankly would be disappointed if they didn't play the hits right but that's a very different experience from discovering some new blues artist in a you know basement uh, blues bar somewhere both really can be really wonderful experiences you just got to know what you're signing up for that's a very good point i would be very disappointed if i went to go see the rolling stones and he said ladies and gentlemen please welcome guest singer yoko ono <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> She's going to do some very experimental art pieces for you tonight. <laughs> and after that, the Stones are going to play only from their latest album. <laughs> but okay, so yeah, I guess that does help uh, help it settle with me a little bit. And don't get me wrong, the food is delicious. It is everything that you could wish it would be. I mean, the man has perfected his recipes and they're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and he's certainly figured out how to roll them out. So as you say, more power to him. But I think I would say I would go, you go there to eat. You don't necessarily go there to dine. Well, Chris, listen, give, give us a few more thoughts if you would on, uh, and I know this is a, this is an unfair question to ask, but I'm going to ask for your favorite places or recommendations on places to eat. And the reason I say that's an unfair question is because it doesn't have enough context around it, right? Like, so, so if somebody's looking to go out for a 25th anniversary dinner, that's going to be different from somebody who's there on his stag with a bunch of buddies and they want some good pizza and beer. But maybe you can just pick, irrespective of context, maybe you could recommend one or two high-end places, you know, say you've done well at the tables, and uh, one or two hole-in-the-wall spots if, uh, you know, the, the slot machines haven't been as kind. Okay. All right. I do like Flock and Fowl. That's a place that was recently introduced to me. It's a, a kind of an Asian street food type place that's dressed up a little bit. Uh, the food is delicious. I wish I remember where the chef 
Chef Sheridan came from, but I can't uh, I can't off the top of my head. But that's located in downtown. Another place that I enjoy. There are a couple of great Korean barbecue restaurants over in, on Spring Mountain Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is called Hobak. Another one is called Magal. And I think what you're going to get there is bang for your buck. You're going to spend maybe about 60, 70 bucks and you'll be able to feed three to four people from a Korean barbecue. Wow. Well, is, is one of those restaurants, the one that you mentioned on your last show, I think where you talked about there was a, a, a big sized platter and a small sized platter. And that is, yeah, that's the one I went with Christy and, and Chad. We went to Magal Barbecue. Okay, right. None of us had been there before. Right, and the and the server said, no, you're going to be okay with the small? Yeah, yeah, just because the uh, amount of uh, the appetizers that they bring out, it was just, there was just so much to eat, as well as they would give you a dessert and, and also a little, what was it, uh, they called it beef sushi appetizer. They just, the food doesn't stop. And I think the whole thing cost roughly 60 bucks. Wow, fantastic. Okay. And the three of us feasted and, and we left food on the table. We just couldn't eat it all. <laughs> That's, wow. Because Vegas, I, I think, still has a reputation among people who haven't been there in a long time as being a real value budget destination, which in my experience, it's not anymore. So it's delightful to hear places where you can really get some good value. Yeah, and good food because, you know, alluding back to celebrity chefs, they need to get paid because they need another boat or they need another big house. And so, you know, you're going to see that it reflected in the menu prices as well as the real estate on the Strip is huge. So you're probably paying two times more uh, on the Strip than you would for the same food off the Strip. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking for a good budget, let's say you're going out there with your family and you want to uh, feed uh, your family for a reasonable price – Try Capriati's. They are a sandwich shop that uh, most locals are aware of. And, you know, if if you don't have a car, you might even be able to Grubhub them and have the food delivered to you. Okay. But they make an amazing turkey sub that has fresh turkey daily with stuffing and cranberry sauce in this sub. Wow. It's fantastic. Okay. And it's a. They're huge, you know, 12 to, I think maybe they might even have a 16 inch one that you could split amongst the family. It's a good value meal. That's fantastic and delicious. And it's a local place. So you could support a local restaurant. Love it. Okay. I'm going to check it out. Last question on the food side, and it, it ties to your comment on the locals. How important is it to you? I'm going to tie this to dining, but to connect with the locals and I'll tie it to Vegas as well. But it seems to me that your experience gets better or can get better the more you know about the place, either the places you're going or the people behind them. So do you have any thoughts on, on, because Vegas can be such a detached experience, right? You can fly in for three days. You can, you know, go to restaurants and and never see these people again at all. But uh, to me, I think you can get more value out of a place if you go back, if you get to know the people. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. I mean, I think that goes for pretty much any vacation that you take. You can go and you, as a tourist and you observe, or you can go as an explorer and try to integrate yourself as part of where you're visiting. It just depends on what your comfort level is. I've definitely gotten a lot more from getting to know the locals, getting to know some of the off places and a little bit of the off strip places, getting to know a little bit of the history of the strip. For me, it makes the trip more enjoyable. But there are many who do go to Vegas who just love to eat, drink, gamble. Right. And that's that's all they need. <laughs> well, and that's got some appeal too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I always encourage people to do a little bit of research or get get to know some of the folks who live in the city. So that way, if you do come back, you have a familiar face. It's always nice to be recognized. And this is a long, you know, this is a throwback, but kind of like be the norm of Cheers when you walk in somewhere and they're you're welcomed. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. I, I yeah. agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I am more than old enough to to remember the uh, the norm reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always fear how old I'm getting because I do recognize that that is an 80s <laughs> reference that a lot of the millennials out there really wouldn't get today. Right. <laughs> Unless they happen to have stumbled across it on YouTube. Well, listen, Chris, thank, <laughs> thanks so much for joining me. Before I let you go, where can my listeners best find your content to learn more about uh, your takes on Vegas? 
Oh, well, uh, you can listen to the podcast, which is called Faces and Aces Las Vegas. It's available on pretty much any podcast player or app. You could also find it at the website, facesandacesLV.com. And if you want to shout out to me, say hi on Twitter, or ask me any questions or tips about Vegas, you could find me at facesandacesLV. That is fantastic. Chris, listen, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to seeing you soon in Vegas. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we got to get together soon and do something in Vegas. (laughs) I like that idea. Hmm, get together and do something in Las Vegas. I wonder what Chris meant by that. Well, I guess time will tell. Anyway, my thanks to Chris and to Julian for taking the time to join me for today's show. I really appreciate it, just as I appreciate the podcast you guys put out I know it's a ton of work, so know that I really enjoy both of your shows. For those looking to join me in listening to these podcasts, you can find Chris, as he said, at facesnacesLV.com and look for Julian at vegasconfessionspod.com or on Twitter at vegasconfesspod and julianromero559. Okay, that is all for today. Remember, you can avoid the hassle of having to download the Chef Timoni podcast just by subscribing. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, I love to hear from you. So if you've got a comment or a question for the show, a topic suggestion, or if there's a chef out there you'd like to hear interviewed, or if you know a lawyer who has an interesting connection to the food scene, please get in touch with me. You can do that on Instagram or Facebook, or just send me an email to Graham at cheftimony.com. All right, thanks again for joining me today. I'm Graham McLennan, and I'll see you in a week right here on Cheftimony. Money.